we are going to be talking about what is fitting for this time of year. Uh, During this time of year, people, as we move into the new year, it's, it's really a time that people reflect. I mean, in one sense, it's kind of interesting to think about New Year's Eve or New Year's Day that, I mean, it's just another day in some regards. It's just moving from Tuesday to Wednesday. I mean, it's not like we always celebrate moving from Tuesday to Wednesday or that Every Tuesday to Wednesday is a big momentous occasion, so in some sense it's just another day. Uh, The same is true with Christmas or your birthday or or anything, but I mean, every culture and built into our lives, there's all these different rhythms that we have of celebrating certain things with feasts and festivities and uh, celebration, and God has ordained the world in such a way that there is seasons, and there is night, and there is day, and the earth rotates around the sun in a certain amount of times. So though in some ways it's just another day, I think it is important, and we have that built into the very creation, to take those different moments and use them to reflect and use them to consider our lives. So I think that as we move into a new year, it can be a really helpful time to say, okay, what, what do I want life to be about? And that's really what most people are thinking about right now as you move into a new year. How, how can my life be better? That's the whole idea of New Year's resolutions and all those things. Essentially, it's how, how can my life be better? And sometimes those are grand scale things or sometimes more surface level, superficial type things. Maybe small little goals you want to do, pounds that you want to gain or pounds that you want to lose or people that you want to talk to or people you don't want to talk to anymore. I mean, it can be kind of a mix of things. But as we move move into a new year in the next couple days, I want to kind of set up a theology of, of New Year's and what the Bible maybe would be able to speak into New Year's and how, and how we reflect on that. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll also put it up on the screen. And we're just going to look at uh, a couple small verses, just these couple verses for tonight. And here is... Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And This first idea that he presents to us is look carefully how you walk. And I love this image of walking. I mean, the Bible uses this often in in different contexts and in different passages of Scripture where, where it says our life is a walk. And I love the image of walking because walking really shows us two things. It's a direction. There's Anytime you're walking, you're going somewhere. There's a direction, a destination, a purpose, a goal. It's not just aimlessly wandering. There's there's something that you're doing. So a walk includes your purpose and your your goals and just really the focus and aim of your life. But it also includes specific actions. A walk is not just someone that sits down and makes a bunch of plans about purpose and goals and intentions, but it's specific actions that are included in your life. So I love the idea of a walk when Paul says, look carefully how you walk, because it includes what you're actually doing, but also the focus and intention and what the driving force of your life is. And really, there's, there's two ways to live your life. 
there is a reactive approach to life, which is just kind of go with the flow. Whatever happens, happens. You don't necessarily have a plan for your budget. It just, whatever you spend money on, you spend money on. Um, you don't necessarily have a plan for the next couple years in your life. It's just whatever happens, that's what I do. And even if you look back at your life to this point, you may see different things of how did I get the job I have? How do I have the friends I have? How am I sitting here today, right now? How am I in this city? I mean, different things in your life, it can, a lot of it can just be, well, it just kind of happened. I mean, this person said this to me, and this person said that, and this circumstance became available, and this choice became available, and I just kind of did things. And that's kind of one way to live life, is a reactive approach. Life comes towards you, and then you kind of go with the flow, whatever you want to do. But what Paul presents to us here is the second way to live life, which is a proactive approach to life. It's not to just react, and we all have to react. I mean, there's going to be things that are unforeseen, so we all have to react. So I'm not saying that we don't ever be reactive, but what Paul presents to us is a second way to live life, which is look carefully how you walk. Look carefully how you live your life. Look carefully the focus of your life, the intention of your life. Look carefully how you walk. And that's a very different approach that, that often we, we don't take to life. Are you looking carefully at how you walk? When you think about your life, are you looking carefully how you walk? We do this with many other things in our life. If you think about looking carefully, just those words... If you are um, selling a home or if you've ever bought a home, many times what happens is you bring in an inspector and they're going to look at if the structural foundation is good, if there's mold, they're going to they're look at if uh, I had a friend that was selling his house and the inspector came in and said that because of the way the house was sitting on the, the hill that potentially it could fall down the hill over time, so the value of his house was way decreased from what he had hoped it to be, but you bring in an inspector to look carefully. Or if you are applying for a new job or looking into a new job, I know some of you are are doing that, you're looking for jobs and you're going to look carefully into what are the co-workers like, what's the culture like, what's the pay like, what's the vacation time like, what's the different policies like, what's the quality of life like. You're going to look carefully into that. Even something more simple like a cell phone plan. You might compare the different plans of, okay, what's, what are the prices? How many minutes do I have? Can I text all the time? What's my data usage? All those different things. We look carefully into those things. But while we often look carefully into those things, sometimes we don't look carefully how we walk. We don't look carefully how we walk sometimes. We look carefully. That, that's, if you think of that image of looking carefully into the kinds of restaurants you're going to eat at or jobs or house inspection, those kinds of things, that's, that is the image. That is what it means to look carefully. Or think about, I think one of the best ways to think about looking carefully is a doctor. If you go to the doctor, they look carefully. You may go to a doctor and say, hey, I've got... Uh, I've got something bothering me, some condition, something's wrong in my lungs, or some, something that is, that is perplexing you and bothering you, and you're going to go to that doctor and not just say, hey, give me a quick little look and then walk away, but you're going to say, I want you to look carefully. I want you to look carefully. 
And when they look carefully, how do they do that? How does somebody look carefully? There's two primary things of a way that you look carefully. The first is that you do tests. That's the first way to look carefully is you do tests. If you've been to the doctor, they've done tests. It might be smaller tests of cough or sniff or give us some fluids or this or that, but they do tests on you. And then the second way is that they assess. So there's two things of looking carefully. There's testing and assessing. So the testing part is running through certain diagnoses, certain questions. Are you feeling pain here? How's it going here? Let me see this. Let me look at that. Let me open this. Let me open that. And then assessing is, hey, come back and see me in a week. Come back and see me in a month. Let's see if this worked. Let's see if this medicine worked. Let's see if this treatment worked. That if somebody is going to look carefully, that there's testing and there's assessing. There's testing and there's assessing. And if you think about your own life, if you are to be a person that looks carefully how you walk, we need to both have a way to test how we're walking, to test our life, and we need to have a way to assess it as well. The same way that you do this with a car, right? You take your car in for regular checkups at the 5,000-mile mark or the 10,000-mile mark or the 50,000-mile mark, and these different things, or even just an oil change. There's a checkup where they, they run various tests, and they always try to sell you the, the filter, even though you had it changed last time, and it looks dirty, but of course it looks dirty. Um, I hate going to those places. <clears throat> I, I always feel like I've got to just do everything they say, but you don't, so my grandpa says anyways. Um, but you test and assess, test and assess. So for our lives, if we're going to be people that look carefully, we have to do both of those things. So what does it mean then to walk carefully? There's two things that Paul's going to tell us. The first, the definition of what it means to walk carefully. The first thing he says is that we are to be wise and not unwise. So look carefully how you walk. What does that mean? He's going to define it. Look carefully how you walk. Well, how do we do that? Well, you need to live wise, not unwise. And that might seem simple, of course. Yes, I want to live a life that is wise and not unwise. Okay, check. But what is wisdom? If you think about wisdom, what, what do you think of when you think of wisdom? I mean, sometimes we may think of the, the guru that has a great Fu Manchu mustache and a long flowing robe, and you may take a pilgrimage to go see him, that that is wisdom. It's the person that is the guru. Or sometimes we think of wisdom just in the sense of somebody that has lived a long life. They have age. So, so wisdom is equated with age. That if someone has lived for a long time, well, they must be wise. Or experience. That if somebody has experienced many things, then that is wisdom. So maybe you are uh, thinking about dating someone. So you go, well, who do I know that has dated lots and lots of people? They must have wisdom then. Well, maybe not. You know, Maybe that shows you the opposite. But sometimes we do that. Well, this person, I know they've got wisdom. They've had 33 jobs this year. So I bet they know how to go job hunting. I bet they know how to apply for jobs. Well, maybe not. Experience doesn't necessarily equate with wisdom. But we we can think of wisdom as a guru or experience or age. Or sometimes it's just IQ. Somebody with natural intelligence, we equate that with wisdom. Or somebody that has amassed a lot of facts. 
When you hear somebody that is able to rattle off to you about this subject and this topic and they seem aware of all the different cultural events or the different things that are happening or they just seem like a walking Wikipedia and you're just like, man, that person is wise. Well, not necessarily. Maybe, but not necessarily. Just, just the ability to repeat facts or know facts does not necessarily equate with wisdom. Or same thing with education. Somebody has a master's degree or a doctorate degree or multiple doctorate degrees. And we think, oh, well, there's wisdom because there's education. Because they have read a lot of books or they've studied a lot of things or they've studied abroad even better. They studied in South Africa. They studied in, they studied in Oxford. Wow, there must be wisdom. Maybe education is good. Those things are good. But, but not necessarily. When the Bible talks about wisdom, it doesn't mean any of those things. So when Paul instructs us to be wise and not unwise, what is he talking about? Well, I think the best definition of that, if you have a Bible, I won't put this up on the screen. You can turn to James if you have this. And I'm just going to read how James defines for us wisdom. This is chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And here's what James tells us about wisdom. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. See, there's different kinds of wisdom. But is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, so this is God's wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what, what does it mean to be wise and, and not unwise, it's to live a life that is pleasing to God. I mean, how, how James described it, the wisdom that comes down from above, is one that is looking at their life and saying, how can I live my life in a way that is pleasing to God? Wisdom has the first thought of, I want my life to be pleasing to God, and is actually acting that out. James says that their wisdom is shown in their conduct. It's not just this knowledge in your heads. It's not just experience and age and guruism and all these different things. You like that? Guruism? It's a new word. But it's, it's a life that is lived to say, I want to live a life pleasing to God. And, I, and I'm actually doing that. That is what wisdom is. And what that shows us then is this. There are probably things in your life that are not sinful Per se. And you might even say that. You might say, well, it's not sinful that I do this, or it's not sinful that I do that. But is it wise? See, there's folly in our lives. There's foolishness in our lives. There's certain things that you would be right to say, it's not wrong. It's not sinful. Well, that, that very well could be true. But is it foolish? See, the heart that the heart that desires to live a life pleasing to God isn't asking, 
just the question, what's right, what's wrong, but is asking, what is pleasing to God? What is wise? Uh, there's a sheet in front of you that w- this will be the first part of it that you can fill in along the way. But the first question on there is just, where is there folly in your life? Where is there foolishness in your life? Where are there things that maybe are not sinful, but they're foolish? What comes to mind when I, when I say that? It's probably those things, if, if something directly doesn't come to your mind, it probably is those things that you find yourself often saying, it's not sinful, it's not wrong, it probably is those things. It's those things that are foolish. Think, I want you to think about that. Do you think about what is wise? What is the most pleasing to the Lord? Versus just, is it wrong? Am I not allowed to do it? Wisdom has a heart that says, I want to please the Lord. Paul wants us to look carefully how we walk. And the first piece of that is to live a life that is wise, not unwise. That is pleasing to the Lord, not foolish. The second question on that sheet is, where is it that you need to grow? Where do you need to grow? If, if living wise is about living a life pleasing to the Lord, where is it that you need to grow? Where is it that you, in your life, need to live a life more pleasing to the Lord? Where is that? Where do you need to grow? What stands out to you? What are the big areas? Not just actions, not just read my Bible more or pray more or help people more or talk to my parents more or not just actions, but, but character traits, parts of, of your character. Where is it that you need to grow? Parts of who you are, where is it that you need to grow? Write those down and just follow along with me as we, as we go through this. And then the third part is, how are you going to do that? If you're looking carefully how you walk and you want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, the areas that, that you need to grow, how, how are you going to do that? Who, who do you need to talk with? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to do? What do you need to read and study? The parts in your life where, where you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to grow, to live a life more pleasing to the Lord, you may have a cognitive awareness of those things, but how is that actually going to take place? What are you actually going to do about it? Maybe you've known some of these things for a long time. But what are you actually going to do about it? The character traits that you want to grow in, how will you do it? So the first thing that Paul tells to us, the definition of what it means to look carefully how we walk, is that we are to be wise and not unwise. The second thing he says is this, make the best use of the time. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Here's the, the horrible hard truth. I have to tell you this, I'm a pastor and I love you, but you're going to die. You're going to die. It could be in the next 10 seconds, hopefully not. It could be tomorrow, tomorrow, that was a mix of tonight and tomorrow, tonight, it could be tomorrow, it could be tonight, that happens at midnight to Nairo. It, it could be at either of those points. It might be in a week. It might be in a year. It might be 70 years from now. But you will die. And you've got one life. Do you know that? You've got one life. You have one life to live. You only live this life one time. 
And it's a gift that you have. And then beyond that is eternity. You have a span of years on this earth. I don't know how long it is. You don't know how long it is. You know how many people die unexpectedly before they thought they would? I mean, not to be um, gruesome or anything, but probably some of us in this room will die before we think we should. Whether that's myself or somebody out here. Probably at least one of us will die before we thought we were going to die. We won't all have the titanic death of dying in your bed as an old grandma or whatever it was that Leo said. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, then you're probably a male. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, <laughs> you will, uh, we will die. And we've got one life on this earth. And then beyond that is eternity. And what I was thinking about this even today, there are things that I want to do on this earth. And there's things that I feel like sometimes I miss out on that I would like to do but I can't do because of various reasons. But in eternity, all of this life will be a memory. I mean, it will go on however long we live, whether that's 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, or 40 years. However long we live on this earth, even those things that it seems like we weren't able to do or that we miss out on, that's why I think it could be so foolish to pursue the, you only live once, so just do whatever you can and live it up in the moment, because all of those things will be but a memory in 10 trillion years. You know that? I mean, we all will live into eternity for trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions. I mean, I can't count that high. And this little life that we live will be but a memory, and yet still, it's a gift that God gives us, and you only have one shot at life on this earth. You will live into eternity forever and ever. But right now, you have one shot on this earth. One. That's it. You only live life on earth one time. And then you never get that back again. And God has ordained and ruled that it is significant this time we have. It's not, well, you know, it's only a handful of years, so whatever. Let's just get it over with. It is still significant. And it's a gift. It's a gift. We only live life one time. Will it be the best time? Will you use this time in the best way possible? See, many people do not do that. Either because they're not proactive about it. There's no way to make the best use of the time if you're not being proactive about the time. If you just live reactively... Not looking carefully, but if you just kind of live reactively to whatever happens, there's no way to make the best use of time. So many people don't make the best use of time because they're not actually living proactively with their lives. They're not thinking about how to make the best use of the time. Or because you're not assessing. There's no way to make the best use of time if you don't assess your life. There's no way to make the... Think of an Olympic athlete. Even to make the best use of time, a racer, right? If you, if you um, are doing one of the races in the Olympics and you want to make your best time, how do you have to do that? Well, you have to be proactive and actually plan for it, but you have to assess it as well. You cannot make the best use of your time without assessment, without saying, how's it going? 
How, is, how am I using the time? What can improve? What can be done better? What's, what needs to be shaved off? What needs to be cut out? To make the best use of the time, you have to both be proactive, you have to assess, and some people are not making the best use of their time because maybe they're doing both of those things, but they're pursuing the wrong things. So you may be actually being very proactive in your life. You may be assessing and shaving things off and adding things in that need to be added in and be very intentional about your time. But you may be pursuing the wrong things. To make the best use of time isn't just about maximizing time. It's about maximizing time for the right things. So many people do not make the best use of their time because they're not assessing, they're not proactive, or they're pursuing the wrong things. And what I love here is this word, which is a very convicting word, best. Because are you making the best use of your time? To look carefully how you walk means that we make the best use of time. Not the okay use of time, not even a good use of time. Not even a really good use of time, but the best use of time. Are you making the best use of the time that you've been given? That means, do not think of that, by the way, of your life. Don't just think, okay, how can I make the best use of my life? Do think about that, but it can be too easy to think about that. How about making the best use of Monday, of Tuesday, of Wednesday of January of February of 2014. Not just life, but the moments. There's no way to make the best use of time if you just think on a grand scale. The grand scale gets played out in the small scale. Are you making the best use of time? Are you asking yourself that? How often do you think about that? How often do you ask yourself, am I making the best use of time? If you're not asking yourself that regularly, then the truth is you're not making the best use of time because there's no way to make the best use of time without testing and assessing. And If that's not a question that is on your mind often, then you're not making the best use of time. When I think about this, I mean, I, I'm continually convicted, continually challenged, and continually need to correct and, and change things. On the sheet there, there's two things on there that are included in making the best use of time. One is, what should you cut out of your life? What needs to go from your life? What do you need to add to your life? Part of making the best use of time is cutting things out that are hindering you from living the life that is most pleasing to God, that's, you, that's making the best, the best use of time, things need to go. And things probably need to get added too. There's other things that need to be put in place to make the best use of time. And often we may say something like, well, look, there's things that I would want to do, but I just don't have the time for it. But here's the truth. We all have the same amount of time. You and I have different amounts of money. You and I have different appearance. You and I have different skin colors. You and I have different ear sizes and nose sizes. And we've got different family backgrounds. And we've got different goals. But time is the great equalizer. Time is the great equalizer. At least right now, we all have the same amount of time. And nothing is ever a time issue. 
It's a priority issue. When you say, I don't have time for that, what you mean is, that's not a priority. That's a good thing to know, even about the choices and decisions you make. Helpful to remember that, that when you say, look, I don't have time for that, it means that is not a priority. And that's okay. I'm not saying that that's bad. It's, that's good. It's good to know what is the best use of time, to think that way. We all have the same amount of time. Each one of us, what's the best use of your time? Even think about that in different areas of your life. What's the best use of your time in the job you're in? What's the best use of time in your friendships? What's the best use of time in your relaxing, in your, in your leisure? What's the best use of time? What's the best use of time with your social media habits, technology, What's the best use of time when it comes to your church involvement? What's the best use of time when it comes to your marriage or, or your parenting? What's the best use of time when it comes to your volunteering in different things? What's the best use of time? What's the best use? What's the best use of time with your weekend? What's the best use of time with your evenings? What's the best use of time with your mornings? I mean, you can go through this with multiple things, but are you thinking about that question? To look carefully how you walk as wise, not unwise, which is to say pleasing to the Lord, making the best use of the time. Making the best use. So let me give you just a couple quick things on how to actually make the best use of your time. This can be different for every person. There's some things that are similar, but it can be different. But here's some principles to have in your life of how to make the best use of your time. And and what I wanted to say first on this is, have you ever seen one of those uh, one-man band type people that have a harmonica in their mouth and a guitar and a drum and another thing they're shaking on their leg and even a hula hoop sometimes I've seen, um, and then you have to tip them. Uh, So... That's not what it means necessarily to make the best use of your time. Is do as many things as possible. Multitask, do this and this and that and that. That's the best use of time. Just find a way to add as much as you can. That, that's not necessarily what it means. Because sometimes when we talk about this, make the best use of time, it can be like, well, I've got to do more things. Maybe there's some things you should add. But again, there's probably some things you should cut. And it also doesn't mean making the best use of time is just add as much stuff as you can and just sleep when you die, just go all out. Because sometimes making the best use of time is rest. It's vacation. Sometimes that's the best use of time. But are you thinking about making the best use of time is why I take a vacation. It's why I rest. It's why I Sabbath. It's why I nap. It's why I hang out with friends. Is, is it because it's strategic? Or is it just because it's reactive and it's just kind of whatever you're doing and this and that? Making the best use of time. Here's three ways to to do that. The first is this. Make a plan for everything in your life. And that may sound um, intense or just silly, but I, I think making a plan for every area in your life and just getting into a habit of doing that. There's no way to make the best use of time without being intentional about it. I want you to understand this is not a, a um, personality disposition. It's not, well, I'm not like that. 
Well, Paul says we're all supposed to be like that. To make the best use of time is not something for type A people, but not for the more free-flowing spirits. Make the best use of time. So plan your life. What do you, and I don't mean be neurotic, I mean, I don't mean that, but do you have an intentional habit of planning in your life? Whether that's, for those of you that are uh, married, what are we going to do on date night? What are we going to do on vacation? That's for all of us. How are we going to raise our kids? What's our plan? What are some good conversations that would be good to have with this person? Planning, making the best use of time, planning every area in your life, whether that's budget or leisure or entertainment, planning. I mean, I do this excessively with many things in my life. I probably should do it more than I do it. But to make the best use of your time has to begin with making a plan. There's no way to maximize your time without having a plan of how to use it. The second is similar to that, but it's planning your rhythms. So when you think about your day. Do you know what you're going to do that day? When you think about your week, I, I try to every uh, Friday make a plan for the following week. Like, here's what I want to happen this week. Here's what I'm planning on doing this week. So planning your day, planning your week, planning your year. Every year around this time, my wife and I, take some time and we just talk about life. What, this coming year, what are the areas we want to grow in? What are the areas we want to learn in? What are the things we need to do? And taking time to plan your rhythms. All the different natural rhythms we already have. Days, weeks, years. Plan everything. Plan in your rhythms. And third is something I've already said but is to assess those things. Many of us make New Year's resolutions. Many of us make plans or goals or those kinds of things, and then we dust them off the next year and go, oh, I said that? That's crazy. Assess. Do you have rhythms of checking in on your life and seeing what needs to go or what needs to be added? Or Do you assess your life? So you have a rhythm of planning everything, planning in your rhythms, and some way of assessing, whether that's a daily, a monthly, a weekly. How'd it go? How'd that week go? How's that goal coming along? How's, here's an area you said you wanted to grow in. Are you making progress in that? How's it going? Having rhythms of assessing. This is helpful. I, I'm talking at a spiritual level in your life, but I mean, if you have your own business or if you um, kind of are more independent when it comes to your work and things you do, I mean, the same types of rhythms are very helpful for that. And this is not rocket science type stuff. It's, man, okay, I need to make a plan. I should plan through the rhythms, and I need to assess those things. There's no way to make the best use of the time without having some sort of rhythm like that. So even if everything I just said, you go, ah, that seems a little crazy. Let me ask you this. How are you going to fulfill this for you? Then if everything I said you think is silly, how are you going to fulfill that call to make the best use of your time? That will not happen reactively. It will not happen on accident. How do you plan on making the best use of your time? This is the definition of what it means to look carefully how you walk. This is the definition. So 
What's the reason? What is the reason that we are to look carefully how we, we, we walk? Well, he says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The days are evil. This is the reason we need to look carefully how we walk. See, if you don't think you need to walk carefully, if you don't think you need to walk carefully, it's because you don't believe that the days are evil. If you don't think that you need to walk carefully and look carefully how you walk, it's because you don't believe the days are evil. And if, right now, you aren't looking carefully how you walk, it's because you don't believe that. See, we can deceive ourselves. If, um, if you were in your house, in your home, and um, you were going to walk downstairs, and go uh, watch TV in the basement or, or something, you're going to walk from one place in your house to the next place in your house. And I were to come to you and say, hey, 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 be careful how you walk. You would think I was crazy, right? You'd be like, what are you talking about? I, 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 this is my home. It's safe. It's secure, it's comfortable, I know it, it's laid out well, I've walked it a thousand times. But if we treat life that same way, that's because that's how we're viewing life. We don't believe this. We don't believe the days are evil. We believe it's more like our home. We believe it's safe and it's secure and we know how to do it, we know how to operate in it. So we're not looking carefully how we walk because we don't believe the days are evil. We believe it's more like our home. So even sometimes when we hear, look carefully how you walk, it's kind of like, why? I'm walking all the time. I, I, kinda, I got this. I, I've been doing it since I was one. I, I, think I, I think I can do it. Because we view it more as our home. It's safe. It's secure. It's comfortable. We know how it's laid out. But think about another context. If we were somewhere in some war-torn country, maybe we're in the Sudan or somewhere like that, and I was your guide, and I said to you, hey, this is a minefield. Look carefully how you walk, then you would go, okay, yeah, look carefully how you walk because this field is evil. See, there's landmines all around us. That's one of the images that we could conjure up with here to say, look carefully how you walk because the days are evil is to say that around you are all sorts of temptations, all sorts of landmines. Do you not feel that? Do you not feel that there are many things to take you away from looking carefully how you walk, being wise and not unwise, living a life most pleasing to the Lord, making the best use of their time? Are there not landmines all over the place that we can step on? Temptations, sin, laziness, a pursuit of comfort, a pursuit of just security, our own arrogance. Are there not landmines all over when you think about when you think about this, this is as we went through 1 John and went through that book recently. It talks about the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. These are landmines, temptations around us that are all over the place. We live in a world that is not conducive to a worship of Jesus. Look carefully how you walk. It's not your home. There's landmines. Or here's another picture I want you to think about. If you didn't know where you were going, if you're walking the street, maybe some city you've never been to before, and you ask someone for directions, 
And they say, okay, you need to take a left, and then you take a right, and then you need to take a, another left when you see this sign. And then, but look, it's kind of confusing, so look carefully how you walk. Again, if, if, they, if that same person told you that in your house, you'd be like, you're really weird. I know how to get downstairs. But in a place that is not your home, in a place that you don't know the destination, you don't know exactly all the turns and how everything works itself out, you need to look carefully how you walk, otherwise you get off course. You're looking down at your little GPS dot and you are away from where you're supposed to be. The blue dot is moving the wrong direction. Look carefully how you walk because the directions in life that you take, it's not just the temptations and the landmines around you, but another way to think of looking carefully how you walk because the days are evil is that there is a drift and a current that pulls us off the course of life that God would have for us. Other things, if, if we do not stay on the path, if we do not stay on the trail, it's really easy to, to pursue other things and have a different destination. So we start to get really busy with other things or we are pursuing different goals or different purposes or different intentions and we need to look carefully how we walk because there is a path that God wants for us. There is a path that is most pleasing to the Lord. This is uh, said well, I think, by a scholar, theologian named D.A. Carson. He says this, People do not drift toward holiness talking about intentionality, proactive. Look carefully how you walk. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. That's powerful. And what's more powerful, I believe, about this is these words, drift, slide, slouch. See, these things that are kind of slow movements away. Look carefully how you walk. Make the best use of the time. Because the current, it's a slow drift, it's a slow pull, it's a slow slide. But you, we end up off course or we end up on a landmine. The next thing here, how are we going to do this? So the, the definition of looking carefully how you walk is living as wise and not unwise and making the best use of time. The reason to look carefully how you walk is because the days are evil. So how do we actually get the power to do that? Well, the next part of what he says is this. He says, therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So how are we going to have the power to actually live in this way? Well, let's look at the first word here, to understand what the will of the Lord is. Because when you think about understanding what the will of the Lord is, this is kind of how I conceptualize this. 
there's some people that do not understand what the will of the Lord is. They don't understand it. And and when we're talking about the will of the Lord, we're not talking about some secret will, like who does God want me to marry or what does he want me to do? Um, What job should I take? That's the secret will of the Lord that we don't know, but it's the revealed will of the Lord that he has told us. There's some people that don't understand what the will of the Lord is. But a foolish response is to say, well, yeah, I don't understand, but whatever, I don't care. So what response should we have to that? That's to repent. If you're somebody, there's four different types of people we'll talk about here. If you're somebody that says, I don't understand what the will of the Lord is, but I don't really care. Well, then the admonition for you is you need to repent. You need to say, man, I've kind of, I I know I don't understand what God's will is, but I don't really care. That's a heart that is hardened and you should repent. Or maybe you don't understand what the will of the Lord is, but a wise response is, man, I want to know what the will of the Lord is. You want to learn. I don't understand what the will of the Lord is. You're talking about being wise and not unwise and being pleasing to the Lord and making the best use of the time. And man, that all sounds great. I don't know how to do it. Okay, great. A wise response is a humble desire to learn. Lord, teach me. Lord, teach me. Or maybe you do understand what the will of the Lord is. But a foolish response is, I know what the will of the Lord is but I'm just not going to do it. I just don't care. I, I get it. I know. I know what it is, and I don't want to do it. There's this rebellion. Same thing. It's the response for you, then, is to repent, to go, man, the thoughts in my mind, the thoughts in my heart, that though I know what God's will is, I don't want to do it. And maybe, maybe this is on a grand scale of your life, or maybe there's particular details even now that you think about where you know what the will of the Lord is, but you are not doing it. Repent. Ask God to forgive you and change your way. Or maybe you understand what the will of the Lord is, and you have a wise response, you are doing it. Amen? Praise God. Continue. In Galatians, it says, let us not grow weary in doing good. Keep going. You understand what the will of the Lord is, you're doing it. It can be hard sometimes, it can be delightful sometimes, but keep going. So to understand what the will of the Lord is, you also have to say this, what is the will of the Lord? And I, and I said this, but it's, it's, it's what is revealed to us in Scripture, which is primarily to love God and, and love other people. That's how it's all summed up. What is the will of the Lord? It's to love God and to love other people people. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Are you building your life on that? Are you building your life on understanding what the will of the Lord is and doing it? Are you building your life on a love of God and a love of other people? Is that what you're building your life on? That is what it means to be wise and not unwise. That is what it means to be pleasing to the Lord. That is what it means to make the best, the best use of the time. Are you building your life on understanding what the will of the Lord is, loving Him and loving His people? And and really then this issue comes down to who is the Lord? Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There is a Lord in your life. You know this. There is someone in charge of your life. There is someone governing your life. There is someone making the choices in your life. There is someone directing the course in your life. There is somebody. Who is it? Is it you? Is it other 
people outside of you telling you what to do, how to live, where to work, where to live, what to think? Is it God? Is it other people? Is it yourself? Who is the Lord of your life? That's what the issue really comes down to. Who is the Lord of your life? Are you seeking to understand what the will of the Lord is? What it means to love Him and love people in the various situations in your life? Are you seeking to live a life where you seek first the Lord? Is that your first thought in your life? Is your first thought, what is the will of the Lord? Is your second thought, what is the will of the Lord? Is your third thought, what is the will of the Lord? Is that how you're living your life? Is that how you live your life? That's what it really comes down to, is who is Lord? And I love the, com- the comparison that he gives here. He says, therefore, this is the summation, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So it's comparing foolishness versus the will of the Lord. This tells to us some very important things, because what this says is that God is wise. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God is wise. He made our lives. He knows how our lives should operate. See, many times we we do not live this way because we think we're wise. We think God is foolish. But the way he compares this is, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is because God is wise. Or sometimes we do not live like this. We do not seek uh, to be pleasing to the Lord or to build our lives on a love of the Lord and a love of his people because we think, well, God's not for me. I'm for me. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is shows to us that God wants our good. He doesn't want us to live a life of folly, a life that is foolish. He wants, rather, for us to do His will, which is wise and loving. See, it compares these two things. It helps us see that we are not pitting good against God. We're not pitting great things and great desires and great fun and great life against God's will. But rather, there is foolishness and there is the will of the Lord. Because God is good and He loves us and He's wise and He knows how our lives should be. Here's how Paul opened up this section. In Ephesians 5, this is the very first verse. The verses that we were looking at were 15 through 17. But here's the very first verse in chapter 5 that Paul kind of sets this whole thing up with. That gets at this same idea. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like and what that means. And then that's when he gets to look carefully then how you walk. So the whole section begins with what what is going to be the power to live in this way? What's going to be the power to live in a way that says, I'm going to look carefully how I walk. I'm going to make the best use of my time. I'm going to live pleasing to the Lord. What's the power to do that? It's when we see God's character. It's when we see who he is. It's when we see 
that we are beloved children, that God is for us. It's when we see that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when you see that Jesus made the best use of his time by loving you and sacrificing to bring you into his family, when you see that Jesus lived a life pleasing to God, a fragrant offering, it says, to God, when you see that Jesus did that, when he lived a life that was wise and not unwise for you, when you see that when Jesus thought about how can I make the best use of my time, what he did was lay down his life for you to bring you into his family, that is what gives you the power to then live the life that says, I want to do this then. That Jesus would make us his treasure, that he would assess his life, the best use of it being to love us and sacrifice for us. And all of that is what we call the gospel, the good news. The good news being that we didn't deserve any of that. The good news being that we are sinful people that live lives rejecting God, dismissing God, ignoring God, building our lives on other things instead of God, putting our time into other things instead of the best use of time. That we live these lives, and yet, that's what the Bible calls sin, and yet, Jesus came to us lived the perfect life for us. Then he went to the cross and died for us, taking our sin on himself so that we may experience life reconciled to God. And then he rose from death so that we could have a new life in him forever. That's what is eternal life. It's life with Jesus forever. So, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is.